Welcome to the Warrior Goddess Revolution, a podcast dedicated to helping you get free, free of shame, free of fear, free of limitations, and free to become the woman you are meant to be. Let the inner revolution begin. Here's your host, Heather Ash Amara. Hey everyone, I am really excited about this conversation that we're about to have. Sorry, there's a leaf blower outside because, you know, fate and all that stuff. I don't do anything all day and then I'm doing an audio and then the leaf blowers show up. But I am here today with Serena Harz and Adeli Merez, and we are going to talk about power. And I want to put this in a little bit of context because it's November 4th, 2020, and we are all waiting for the results of the election. And it is super freaking close. And we're in the mystery of not knowing. And we're showing up. And this idea of power, what does it mean? If you're going to have a revolution, part of that revolution is about where does the power go? So what we'll be talking about today, what is a power? And where are we moving towards? So how have we each individually perceived power? What are we in transition towards? Uh, and I'm going to ask Sarita and Adeli to share their personal experiences. And then we're just going to talk. So that's really what this is all about is us sharing and talking. So let's have Adeli go first. And I'm going to highlight you and remove us. So if you can share a little bit about who you are. Hi, and Delhi is on our War Goddess Leadership team and is a coach and a magician of many, many ways. And so if you'll share a little bit about your story and what does, what's your journey with power been? Okay. Um, I'm Adeli and thank you everyone for being here. Um, my journey with power. So my journey with power from early on was about power over. So early in my career, I was in management roles in my early 20s. And I'll tell you, that's where my power trip started. So I was managing people that were probably twice my age, and in some uh, cases, even older. And what I felt in that time was that I had to have power over these people in order for them to to, to control them. So for me at the time, power was all about control. And um, and it was control over another, not so much control over myself. And so as I journeyed on, I stumbled upon Toltec uh, practices and I started to realize, whoa, really all I have power over is myself. You know, I've been in this battle trying to control others when all I really have control over is, my, is myself. And around that time, I was also becoming a mom. And so if you've ever tried to have power over a two-year-old, uh, you can try as much as you can to control how they'll behave, but they're going to behave the way they behave anyway. And so that taught me a lot about power over myself and power over my emotions. And really, you know, being, being in corporate America for as long as I was, the patriarch was very strong. And that's how I would kind of was brought up. And so what I'd learned really was a power to control things. And power was hoarding knowledge, power was manipulation and different things like that. And, and so as I stepped deeper into my warrior goddess practice, I started to realize that really the only power I have is the power over myself. And, um, which is feels much cleaner, feels much lighter. I don't have to struggle as hard. Of course, you have your internal struggle, but that's the the that's part of the journey. Um, so I left corporate America almost a year ago um, to to pursue coaching full time, and you know, letting go and just jumping into the mystery of what happens next, not really knowing, um, but leaning in and opening to what the magic is that's going to unfold. And it's been a really interesting journey. So that's kind of been my my whole flow with power. And now I realize that power really is letting go of controlling anybody else, but really control the controllables, which I only control me. And that's what I'm learning. And I, it, it gets easier as you go along and then it gets hard. So, you, it, you know, it just depends. Like Heather Ash said, you know, right now we're all kind of sitting and waiting and, and, and some of us in fear over what's next in our country. And um, 
really, we don't have any power over that. So um, just to be with it and be with ourselves and, and stay steady, we've got this. Thanks so much, Adeli. Okay, more questions coming. And I also realized that because I'm exhausted, I said your name wrong. So Adeli Mireles. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> However, I shortened it. So, <laughs> Serena. So, Serena is also on our War Goddess leadership team and is also a Mer Dragon magician. So, if you would also share a little bit about yourself and your journey around four, and then we'll start rifting. Fun. Thank you, Heather Ash, so much. So hi everyone, I'm Serena Hartz and I'm the community magic maker at um, Heather Ash, not the person, but the company and at Warrior Goddess. And so I do a lot of the curriculum development and program design. I'm also a university professor. So I teach at a university. Um, I'm a social worker and I also have a clinical practice. So I do therapy um, with clients and mostly creatives and um, what we call accomplices. So lots of people who are um, oppressed by the system, who are disrupting the system. And, and so uh, this week has been quite the adventure in a lot of ways. Um, talking about power. I'm like, where do I even begin? I started, um, well, I found Warrior Goddess as a result of my losing battle to power over. Um, so when I first discovered Warrior Goddess training, I had been working or was working in a nonprofit agency. And the year I found it was in 2015. So I'd been working in the agency for a few years and I'd finished grad school. And I was just at this place where I was working so many hours every week. And I was constantly trying to have like power and control over myself. Um, but in a way that was really detrimental. Um, I was working way too many hours. I was also um, working out heavily at the time and like working my body into the ground. And I was really disconnected from um, myself. And so there was this way in which I was almost like a puppeteer um, puppeting this, this vision, this version of myself that I was putting out into the world. And it wasn't fun. Like nothing about it felt good. And so I ended up finding this place of being really exhausted, really depleted. I was constantly um, trying to fill other people's cups from an empty cup that I had. I often described it as like trying to lick uh, water spots off of the cup to fill me up. And I was just not in a good place. Um, I was, there were days where I didn't want to get out of bed. I was getting sick on my way to work every day. Um, it was really disturbing when I think about it now and reflect back on, on how I, I imagine I was perceived, which was doing a great job and making these things happen and simultaneously realizing that I was constantly abandoning myself. And, um, I really had this um, as Adelia was talking about this power over model of force and that excess warrior place, instead of really finding my center and being able to find my steadiness within myself. And so I was constantly searching outside of myself for anything that would give me value, that would make me feel like I was loved and that I belonged somewhere. And when I found the warrior goddess teachings, um, I remember Heather Ash talking about power over versus power from within. And I was like, I don't even know what those words mean. Um, power is just power. And I was working from that very old definition, that old paradigm. Similar to Adele, I had learned that from my family growing up and like the people that raised me because my mom um, was constantly having power over. She yelled frequently, which was part of our culture, but also just part of her needing to be heard in the world. And so I could see that same pattern playing out in me. And I was like, there has to be a different way. And so as I started to follow Heather Ash around and realizing that the warrior goddess teachings were really potent, um, I started to really get the sense of what power was. And I actually have this very clear memory of 
not being able to look Heather Ash in the eyes for quite a while the first year that I I was following her around. Um, There was something about the way that Heather Ash carried herself that terrified me. And I'll never forget, I was finishing up my Warrior Goddess Level 1 facilitator training, and I was deathly ill. I had strep throat, which was always my signal that I had overworked myself. And it was on the last day of the training and I really needed to go home. And it was a three hour drive. And I pitifully walked up to Heather Ash and asked if I could leave. And she looked me dead in the eye and I felt naked and raw. And she said, sweetheart, of course, like take care of yourself. And I just started crying and I drove home crying and screaming out the window and just letting my heart open and realize like, this is what power actually feels like, is this place of being able to name what I need, being able to do something that was really uncomfortable or disappoint someone um, in order to take care of myself, which was a lesson that I had just never really learned. And so that catalyst that happened um, in October 2015 ended up moving me into a plan of how do I um, leave my job at this nonprofit that I keep getting ill at every day when I'm going to work? And how do I step into a new dream? How do I step into a new place? And I knew I wanted to do so um, from a, a place of power within, not like I hate you or anything like that. And what it ended up doing was similar to Adele, I, I jumped into this mystery place of turning in my resignation and then saying, I don't know what's next. And I'm just going to trust that my body knows that this is what I need to really step into my authentic self, um, into my sovereignty, whatever that meant. Love it. Okay. So many questions. I'm going to bring Adele back in a second. So question around something you said at the very, very beginning. And I love the story of, you know, the places where we own our power sometimes are not where we think we're going to own our power. It looks really different. So sometimes we think, okay, as a warrior goddess, that means I'm powerful all the time. And this is what power looks like. And it's the same old model of force and push. And so I love that part of your story of like, oh, power is actually asking for what my needs are, listening for what my needs are, being vulnerable. And that's what we're, we're learning how to move towards is bringing that goddess in more. And I was talking about that today of like, sometimes you feel strong and sometimes you don't. So sometimes you need to lean into the community and be held. And sometimes you can hold. So question for you is you mentioned at the beginning about this idea of systems. And I'd love you to unpack that for everyone, that, that idea that we're part of a larger system that is held together from power and what does that look like and how do we navigate it (laughs) solve all the problems yeah (laughs) just a short question so I love this question mostly because as a social worker everything that we do is around systems so the way that we work is that individuals are not just individuals. They are individuals that exist in an environment and groups are not just groups. They're groups that live in an environment. And so systems are really everything. Everything's a system. Our body's a system. The people that we're talking to are a system. And then we're all also existing within a larger system. And then systems interact with each other and they play with each other and all of these things happen. And so When I think about most things in the world, I think about how we exist in our system, what's our role, what's our place. And a lot of these systems that we're playing in, that we're living in, have existed for so long that they aren't just our generation or um, from the beginning of our lifetime. Um, They're mostly not even the beginning of our parents' lifetime or our grandparents' lifetime. Um, A lot of the systems that we're working with have been here for hundreds of years. And so it takes a lot of awareness and perseverance and patience to really unravel the places where the system 
isn't serving, um, you know, a particular population. When I think about like the clients that I serve, I work with um, a lot of creatives with people who um, think outside the box in a lot of ways. And also, um, ones that don't have, you know, a typical nine to five job or are climbing the corporate ladder or anything like that. A lot of them are struggling with the systems that are keeping us trapped because of oppression. Those things come into play too. And we, and we can see them in our daily lives. I mean, we can see these places where we don't live in a vacuum. Like that's what it all comes down to. We don't live in vacuums. We are constantly interacting with others. And any action that we take almost always is going to impact somebody else. And if we look at things as simple as, you know, um, a meal that we're eating, like where did all of that come from? And that's a system as well. And so we have all of these systems and a lot of times they're not communicating with each other effectively. We're using old rule books about how things should be done. And what I think has happened for a lot of people is we, we're coming to this understanding that um, we need to reimagine these systems. Um, we need to dismantle them or um, shift them from the inside out. I mean, there's so many different models on how to do this, but that systems um, don't need to stay intact the way they were originally designed. And so for us to really get creative and practice constantly calling into question, what systems am I in? And how, like, what's my role in that system? And within that, how can I change it? Or how can I shift it if it needs that? And I, I believe that most systems need a shift, um, that most of them need to be shaken up in some way or reimagined in some way. And so we have an opportunity, I think, that if little pockets of people along the way, little groups of people begin to get together and have conversations like we're having tonight, that that's how the system begins to change because we start to have these dialogues and we start to interact with each other. And then from there, we can move to the action pieces of, okay, now how do I take conscious action in my life? How do I move into my life in a different way so that I interrupt what's currently happening? Beautiful. And that's something that I love about the warrior goddess teachings is that so often and you've seen this, and I know Adeli has as well, I'm going to pull Adeli in in a second, that women come into our community thinking they're broken, something's wrong, that they don't ha know how to access their power, they've given their power away, or they're, they're controlling. And that the, the re realization, like the, one of the foundational pieces is you're part of a larger dream that's affecting you. You are not broken. Actually, the dream is broken. And we need to, as women, reclaim our power and, and recognize we are not broke in. And that once women have that, that sense of themselves again, they stop abandoning themselves, they come back into relationship with themselves in a new way, they have community, then they're able to start taking the systems down inside of themselves more effectively and the larger ones. Adele, please tell us What's, what are you thinking? Um, yeah, you know, I think as I think about through the systems, they really are, the systems themselves seem to be the power, right? Um, so we're, we're put into these systems, told the roles that we're going to play or that we're expected to play. And so then we take on all these roles, perfectionism creeps in, um, you know, it shows up in so many ways. And I, I recall, you know, when I came to Warrior Goddess, I was at the time going through a divorce. So, you know, going back, thinking about my life and what led me to where I was at the time, I was, um, I had labeled myself in so many ways. So I was, I grew up a first generation Hispanic. So, you know, the expectations were high. I was also the the oldest child. So, um, you know, I was treated like an adult very early on. Uh, my sister was 12 years younger than her. So I kind of served as second mom, but being the oldest, I was expected to take care of her and, you know, also make good grades and all of those things that are expected. And, um, those things began to define me. So my success was you do well in school. Not that I, I got a lot of accolades for it, but at least I didn't get, um, uh, 
you know, in trouble. And so heaven forbid I get in trouble. That was one of the biggest fears I had. And so, um, you know, there were all these things growing up and my mom, you know, if you end up pregnant, you're, we're not going to help you with your kids. And so, you know, you figure that out. And so there was all these little rules and systems that I had to fit into. And so come 19, I was kind of lost. I met somebody I, I, at one point, my dad said, you know, you're not allowed to date, but don't worry. It's you're, you're, um, nobody wants to date you. And I was like, well, okay. So I took that stigma on. And then, uh, I turned 19, I meet somebody and, uh, I think that's going to be the only person I ever meet. And so I married early and I was fitting all these roles. So as we were, we were both climbing career ladders and really, um, vying for power in the career, in the workplace. Um, we, we did that really well. And we bought our first house in our mid twenties. And then what do you do next? Well, the next logical thing is to have babies. So I, you know, really fit my molded my life into this structure of the expectations that were placed upon me. And then, you know, I'm a homeowner, so I take on a new role and I'm a mom now. And I take on these new roles, which I didn't see as roles. I, I saw them as my identity. And, um, that's where I felt broken. So anytime I'd make a mistake, of course I was, I was not full. I was not whole. I I made made a mistake and I I couldn't see myself as whole. And when I came to the warrior goddess teachings, I, I was going through a divorce at the time and I was having to own up for a lot to a lot of things. Uh, In Don Miguel Ruiz's book, uh, The Four Agreements, he talks about us teaching others or allowing others to treat us in certain ways. And I wanted to throw the book across the room the first time I read that. I thought, how can I be responsible for being in a marriage where I'm emotionally and uh, mentally abused? And I was really angry at that. And I realized, no, you did allow it until you didn't. And then it became a problem. And here you are in a divorce situation, which is good for you because you're getting out of the situation. But how do you do things differently? How do you begin to see that you allow people to treat you a certain way? And that became, okay, I need to find my inner power so that I can speak up for myself, so I can create boundaries that are necessary. And that's where I started to really discover my true power, not my power that I had in the corporate world, uh, but my own inner power. And it changed everything. It changed how I led teams. It changed how I was a role model for my daughters. It changed everything about me. And I came to realize, no, I'm not broken. I'm wearing, I'm wearing all these roles and not really distinguishing who I am aside from these roles and distinguishing who I am, a deli, not a deli mom, a deli coach, deli, all of the things that I was doing. Um, that's where I found my power because a deli is going to be everywhere I go. And one day I'll still be a mom, but my girls will be grown and gone. And so if I define myself based on being a mom, what happens when that role shifts? I lose my identity. What happens when I leave corporate America and I no longer have that role? There's another identity shift. And so all of these roles that define us and become the system that we live in um, really aren't who we are. And so having to let go of what those systems tell us we have to be or that we should be, it's a practice. And it takes a lot of, of commitment to yourself, recommitting to yourself daily, recommitting to yourself every moment. You know, what is this that's showing up? Why am I feeling not enough? Because I don't fit in this system. And so going through and really establishing that for ourselves and, and learning that that's where our power comes from. Our power really is from learning who we are and the roles that we play and who we want to be. And that those are just roles that we put on and take off. That's where our real power comes in. Mm, so beautifully said. And the image of that we give the power to the role and let go of our own power. And the role then starts living our story, starts living our life and creating the whole story of who we are rather than us choosing where we want to put our energy, our power, our presence, our love in every moment. So beautifully spoken. And I'd love for you to share two things, Adeli. One, what changed 
in corporate America of when you were guiding teams, and I was so blessed to get to witness this transition in you, of when you were guiding corporate teams from that sense of power and within the corporate role of how you're supposed to do it versus as you started to step out of that and really relate to the people in your team. Mm -hmm. How did that change? So that's the first question. It changed because I recognized that they, they were not broken either. And so I began to really see them as people and their contributions that they had. And I also began to notice um, myself as a leader, I, I needed to allow them to bring to the table what they had. And that, you know, so many leaders that I've, I've seen in the workplace um, feel like they have all the answers and be, and, and I don't want to call them leaders. I, I want to call them bosses. So many bosses uh, rule in, in corporate America under, because I have this title, I am more important or better than you. And um, I looked around and I, I just didn't like that energy, the way that felt. I was not any better than anyone else. Um, I was, if anything, I had a responsibility to serve them from a place of love in a place of, and this is the shift that happened. I, I was responsible to, to serve them from a place of love and respect. And what I found is people just want to do their best for you when you treat them that way. They show up, they're happy to be there because they really feel seen. And that was important for me to, as I led people. I, I wanted to kind of um, dismantle the whole, I'm the authority figure here. And so you have to do what I say. And uh, because that, that that just doesn't feel right. But in a lot of corporate settings, that's the energy that's there is um, you do what I say because I'm the boss and I know best. And um, what you find when you don't when you move away from that and you allow people to contribute, the creativity skyrockets, um, people really you give them an environment to flourish in. They trust you. They they want to be there. It's funny because I still have a lot of them call me and say, hey, I, I just need a moment with you. And um, people want to be seen. And that's what was important to me was to see people for who they really are and to allow them to contribute because that's what it's all about. And hey, we spend more time in the workplace if you're a regular nine to five person than you do at home. And so to really show honor and respect for the individual who shows up, sure, they're, they're under a role working and, and, you know, renting themselves out, so to speak, um, providing a service, whatever it may be. But at the same time, they're contributing and they need to be, uh, I, to me, it's important to show employees that you do appreciate them um, and they'll, they'll continue to produce. And, and it's not about knowing more or making all the rules or all the decisions, even though you do at times. Um, but really being a true leader means you honor the people that are, that you're, you're serving. And there's that really that sense of, of shared power that there isn't, I have the power and you will do exactly what I say, but <laughs> like that creative, like, okay, we're all in this together. How do we bring our power, our creativity, our energy forward? So, so profound. All right. Second question. You said in the beginning that one of the, the biggest teachings was around your kids because you realized, oh, I can't power over these kids. You can't really control. They have their own world and their own sense of power and you don't want to squash it. Mm -hmm. And so I'd love for you to share the story about when your daughter, when the, the school called about your daughter, it's such a great story. So oh, if you could hear that, because it's a, it's a story about power. It, it is. Really it truly is. Yeah. Ellie is my youngest and um, I have two, two daughters. Um, they're now 19 and 15. And uh, the 19 year old came here very strong willed. She was definitely a, a great teacher for me because I, I, that's where I started to lose my definition of power because that one was not going to let me have any power. But my youngest one came here. She was quite the rule follower. She was just a loving, loving child, just so 
beautiful in so many ways, but everything was black and white. And she, it was always so funny to me because my oldest would say, mom, why do I have to stay in the lines when I'm coloring it? He drove her crazy. And my youngest was like, I have to stay in the lines. I can't go out of the lines. And when I cut, I have to cut perfectly on the line. So she was very rigid in what was black and white and following the rules. And if other kids weren't following, she was definitely going to do something about it. So we had, uh, she, I guess it was the third or the fourth grade. I had received a phone call from the teacher or I had gone to a parent teacher conference and, um, the teacher said, you know, I love Ellie, but I really need you to talk to her. She tends to be like the drill sergeant in the hallway. So if somebody's not doing what they're supposed to do, she's going to come and tell us. And we need her to kind of stay in her swim lane. And I, I thought, I got to thinking, you know, I don't want to crush her little heart because she, um, she really tries and she, you know, she does what she's supposed to and wants everyone else to do what they're supposed to. And how do I not crush her little spirit? And so that evening, picking them up from school, we, we had decided we were going to go out to dinner. And so super excited. She was going to go eat dinner. She asks me, um, mom, can we have dessert tonight with dinner? And immediately I thought, I was like, oh, this is my moment. This is how I can totally talk to her about this. And, um, I, you know, it was one of those moments where you have your thought bubble up here and you're thinking and you don't respond. And she's like, mom, I asked if we could have dessert. And I said, yes, you can have dessert. So as we pulled into the restaurant parking lot, I, I stopped the car and I said, Ellie, we can have dessert only if we eat it first. And that threw her into this tizzy, like, what? Dessert first? I said, yes, we can have dessert as long as we eat it first. She says, mom, I can't do that. And I said, well, why can't you? She says, we're not allowed to do that at school. We get in trouble if we do that. And I said, well, I'm the mom and I'm going to say that you'll get in trouble if you don't eat it first. So you want dessert? You eat it first. If you can't do that, then we're not going to eat out tonight. And her sister was excited because she's a dessert fiend. So dessert first was perfect for her. So she was like, what are you waiting for, Ellie? We have to go get dessert. Let's eat dessert first. And Ellie really apprehensively um, got out of the car and was like, okay, if I have to eat dessert first, then I guess I'm going to eat dessert first. And she was real reluctant. And um, so I used that opportunity to teach her, you know, People do things differently, and sometimes they're not going to do what you expect them to do, but this is how we all are different, and we can be cohesive, and um, this is how I was able to introduce her to sometimes you don't have power over situation, and your friend may not be doing what the teacher said, but it's not your responsibility to go and police everybody, and sometimes you need to let teachers do what they're, they're there to do, and she learned the lesson and, um, you know, now we still joke. Sometimes we still do dessert first just to kind of commemorate that moment. But that was the way that I was able to help her understand that sometimes, you know, the power that we think we have over others is really not power at all. It's the power that we have over ourselves. And so I think for her, that lesson was really important that the only thing you can control is you. And as much as you may want to make sure somebody else is doing what they're supposed to, you can't own that lesson. You, you, have to, you have to let go and let them learn their lessons as well and face their own consequences. It's the best story because <laughs> it was such a powerful way to help her to break up her system and her dream and her, I'm the one that's supposed to follow the rules. Mm -hmm. that's, and my job is to make sure everybody follows the rules. Yeah. So I hope everyone feels that just fabulous lesson of when we're learning how to empower ourselves and others, it's not about beating ourselves into submission or forcing ourselves to be powerful. It's really about how do I engage creatively with myself and with others to help lift us up, to help inspire us, to help us think, and even to challenge us. You know, I'm going to uh, share a story of a time that I was challenged in such a good way and, and a, a time when I really recognized that I was starting to own my power 
in a way that I never thought possible and it was that it was really different. So two different stories. So the first one was inspired by Serena story of being terrified of me. Actually, both of these stories are. And when I first started working with Don Miguel, I could not look him in the eye because I felt like he could see everything. And I felt uh, this sense of not good enough. I felt shame. I felt not powerful. And I watched that for years of this place of, of the, the gaze was too piercing. And probably four or five years in, it might've been even that long, three or four or five years into working with him, I was in Las Vegas with my family for some random reason. And I found out that Miguel was also in Las Vegas. And he was up with friends or at a workshop. I don't even know what was going on, but I went up to the room that he was in with a bunch of different people. And he was sitting on the couch. And my, I was so happy to see him and so grateful. I'd seen him for a, while, a long time that I sat on the ground. He was up on the couch. I just sat on the ground because everything else was full and held his hands and just was like, I'm so happy to see you. And, and in his Miguel, if any of you have met Miguel, he's like, oh, sweetheart, I'm so happy to see you too. I mean, he's just pure love. We probably sat there for 10 minutes, literally just looking into each other's eyes and beaming at each other. And I felt no shame, no need to hide anything, no need to prove anything. I just loved this man and I received his love. And it was an incredible turning point in my life, not because I had like thought about how am I going to do this with Miguel, but because it spontaneously happened and I realized how much I had changed. And I think this is the thing with us being in relationship with our power or our authenticity or our sovereignty that it's not about effort to try and figure out how am I going to do this? It's cleaning everything else out, all the false beliefs about power, all the roles, all the thoughts of who you're supposed to be until you just land inside of yourself. You, you reunite with your power and it's not something you're striving towards or afraid of any longer. And that's what I understood in that interaction with Miguel was that I'd finally landed inside of myself and it had nothing to do with Miguel. Like before that, I'd given Miguel the power of he was the one that was loving. But what happened is that by him staying steady in his love and his presence, I found how to love myself. And then I was able to then commune with him just in that pure, like, isn't love great? Aren't humans great? Isn't being in this world great? So that was the first story that, that came for me. And the second, it's interesting that these both involve men, because a lot of my work around power has been around untangling my relationship with my dad. Because in my world, in my family structure, my dad had the power. This was how I perceived it. Now I don't perceive it that way. But as a kid, like my dad was super powerful. And he was really controlling. He's a very like big businessman and we moved all the time. And and so a lot of my struggles have been around my relationship with men and power and trying to figure out how to do it in a good way. So my second story, and then bring Serena up with, or actually I'm going to bring Adele and Serena back in to ask each other questions. This will be fun. So I'm at a retreat with uh, a man named Stephen Dynan who runs a shift network and he was coaching me. And this was not, this was a couple years ago, I guess. And there were four of us in the room. And he said to the three of us that were part of this workshop, he said, okay, you're going to get up and do a 15-minute TED Talk. No prep. We're going to record it. Go. <laughs> like, basically, get up, do a TED Talk. 15-minute, to the point, go. I think he gave us one minute to prep. I stood up. I did my talk and I decided to like merge a couple things that I've been trying to figure out how to merge. And so it was kind of messy and awkward. Um, and I've been doing this a long time. I know how to get up in front of a group and open the channel and let the information come through. So I was super passionate and present and felt really ground. I could felt really good in it. And I sat down and the room was like 
That was amazing. And then he said, and, and I was like, oh my God, this is great. Like I'm going to get good feedback. I could feel it. He said, and you're holding back. There's a way that you're smiling and trying to make people feel at ease. And I can feel like you're a lot more powerful and you're holding yourself back. And I started weeping at that moment because I got exactly what he was saying and what he was saying. Because the second thing Serena said is I was terrified of Heather Ash. And what I said to him was, I want people to like me. Like people are scared of me already. People are already scared of me. And you want me to, to show up more? You like want me to pull in more energy? And he's like, yes, women need you to be as powerful as you are. Stop dampening it. It's something I still struggle with, honestly, in my relationship with power. And I, I can feel the tears because I want people to like me. I want to be nice. I want to be kind. I want to be seen as good and easy to get along with and sweet. And if you know me, you know that that's a big part of who I am. And I'm also really fierce why I wrote warrior goddess because I got the goddess and I've got the warrior and the warrior has a big ass sword sometimes you know a beloved of mine who's known me for a long time said to me you know you're so sweet and and you're so cute he calls me the cupcake avatar and uh, he's like you're so cute and you like lead people to the edge like it's gonna be fun let's go and then you push them off and I'm like "Mm, that is kind of what I do (laughs) and there's a way I'm still afraid of my power sometimes. It's shifted. It's been two years. And so I have a lot more like, actually, no, the world needs power in women embodied. Like we need to show up. We need to take action. And there's a way where I have less fear now. And it's something that I still navigate is how to let myself express and show to the world who I really am even if it's scary sometimes, or even if there's um, that sense like Serena mentioned of fear that comes up. So I'm going to pull up Serena. Do you want to just respond to that? Any thoughts? And then I'm going to bring in Adele and have the two of you talk for a little bit. Yeah. So I loved um, what actually came through because you paused when you were talking and it really made me think about and and like literally what came through for me was I'm scared of myself because I see my reflection in you. (laughs) And I was like, Oh, that still stings in a lot of ways. That place of where, when we show up fully, like it's a lot of responsibility to take that on and to be willing to stay steady when the haters hate on us standing in our full power. Um, Cause that happens, right? Like there's a lot of breakdown um, and there's actually a story I wanted to share. If we have time. Yes, we do. <clears throat> so um, this one's also <laughs> about power and Heather Ash, something you said about um, your relationship with your dad and like power happening there reminded me or, or, fit this key for me that my power relationship has been with my mom and like that struggle there since I was a willful child trying to arrive two and a half months early. (laughs) And, um, the most potent story I have around this is my relationship with Heather Laura and what power we both stepped into when we were willing to go into our vulnerability together. So some of you have probably heard this story, but the the short version is that Heather and I were at an event together um, somewhere on the road with Heather Ash, and we had spent, I don't know, three or four days together, and we were fine for the first couple days, and then something happened that I was unaware of, and then all of a sudden, 
the dynamic changed and I started getting resentful because I didn't know what was going on. And what our mind often does is it makes up a story. (laughs) And so I had this very elaborate story of what was happening behind the scenes with my friend Heather. And I essentially wrote her off and was like, I don't want to sit in circle with her. I don't want, I mean, I will sit in circle with her, but I'm not going to talk to her. And if we're partnering together, like I don't want anything to do with it. And I just kept having, and we worked together too. So I had this like multi-layered trying to navigate, like everything's fine with my voice going up 15 octaves and trying to figure out how I was going to navigate this. And this went on for nearly a year. And we both apparently had gone to, I found this out after she had passed. We apparently both went to Heather Ash. I only knew my part of going to Heather Ash and telling her like how horrible Heather was and that I didn't want to work with her. And I just didn't know what her problem was. And one day we were both assisting an apprenticeship and we decided to go for a walk in the desert. And I called on my courage And I found this like steadiness with me. And I knew I was at a choice point. I knew that I could either keep up this facade of everything's fine when clearly we know everything's not fine. um, Or I could go in with her. And I'm sure there are other options. um, But those felt like the choice points I was at. And so I decided, okay, I'm in. So I asked her if she'll go with a walk for me in the desert. And we grabbed each other's hands and and walked down the arroyo and we got to this this power place and we just sat and really opened our hearts and shared our hurt and we shared all the places we felt resentful where we felt rage and hatred and denial um all of these pieces really bubbling up from underneath and we were crying at one point and we just looked at each other's eyes and we were just like, what are we doing? And we took responsibility for our parts and we hugged and then we walked back holding hands and essentially were inseparable after that. Like we would find each other and magnet, um, become magnetized towards each other. And what I realized was that with her, I had this really deep intimacy. And when I kept holding up this, these rules about how I had to be and that I couldn't forgive her, I was realizing that all I was doing was harming myself and suffering, creating like more suffering for me. And so the place that I found power was in the stillness of listening deeply to what was needed here at that choice point. And how do I get grounded enough and steady enough to sit through difficult conversations, to sit through those conversations that feel like they could break you open and to lean into that with my whole heart anyways, not knowing what Heather was going to do in response. and. I believe that because we went in together, that that blossomed into this beautiful friendship and the sisterhood because we were both willing to go there with each other. And we made a pact then that we wouldn't lie to each other again, that we wouldn't keep those things from us, that if things arose, we would clear them. And we kept that. And that's my dream. Like that's my new dream is how do we create those systems where that's the new way to be? So that we're breaking out of the old paradigm that's not serving us. I mean, the old paradigm of like comparing each other and gossiping behind your back is just not helpful. And it just creates suffering. And here was this opportunity and we took it and we gambled. We had no idea. But it really did change my outlook and it changed how I'm in relation in other relationships in my life. It's one of my favorite stories. And it is the the demonstration of what's possible when we step into a new kind of power, because what you and Heather were doing, and again, I was, I knew both sides of it, but what you and Heather were doing was trying to keep power, like using an old model of power of like, we'll just get through this. Like, I just want to, I just won't talk to her. That's how I'm going to navigate this, you know, be in my power. I don't, and that's what, it's kind of funny. Both of you are like, I just have a boundary. I just don't like her. That's just the way it is. And there was that sense of power in that. 
Like I can just write her off and push her away. And that's my power. But it's not. And as women, we're so trained to compete against each other, to pick fault with each other, especially when the mirror, we're seeing ourselves in the mirror or seeing something around mother or around, you know, all the things. And so this new model of power that you and Heather demonstrated, lived, stepped into wasn't easy. And it was incredible what happened because you both came into your in such a different way through vulnerability, through on like deep honesty, through the messiness. And so this, this reminder to all of us that this idea of like, I'm just going to step into my power and it's going to be really easy and good. And then I never have to think about it again. There's a lot of layers we're undoing inside of ourselves. And it's, it's a quest that I think is, is not, doesn't end. And it morphs because we find ourselves like, oh, shoot, I'm going into self-importance. Oh, wait, I'm going into self-effacement. Like we, we do all these things with our power of like, I'm better than, or I'm worse than, or I'm not supposed to have any power. Oh, I'm supposed to have lots of power. What does it look like? And so that willingness to, as friends, as sisters, to renegotiate what power actually is. So I'm going to pull Adele in and I'm going to leave for a moment. And I'd love for you to just to share anything that has come up, ask each other questions. Let's see what happens. Serena, I think that, you know, you talk about vulnerability and I think that to me that the biggest tool that we can have when it comes to stepping into power is vulnerability. What do you think? Oh, I totally agree. The place of coming into our tenderness, like coming into that place that feels raw and um, that feels vulnerable is a place that I, that's what I was trying to hide when I worked in the nonprofit world mm-hmm. because I was a social worker and I needed to make things happen. Like that was my whole job. <laughs> and so to have vulnerability would have been a crime in a lot of ways. It would have been disastrous, right? At, at least that's what the system story is mm-hmm. that keeps getting wound up around us. And I imagine that's true for you in the corporate world. Absolutely. And what, what I found in the corporate world was as I stood, as I began to step deeper into my vulnerability, the people that were close to me and worked for and with me were, really appreciated it. But I did notice that higher ups did not, that they, they felt threatened by it. And um, it wasn't the norm. Definitely. It was not the norm in corporate America and not everybody was willing to go there. The more vulnerable I became, the deeper I felt that I was walking in my authenticity. And that was really important to me was, who am I? And to be authentically myself, even when it was hard, because that's the the essence of who we are. If we are truly authentic, vulnerability has to be there. And, um, you know, just so much more opens up within ourselves when we're willing to step into that. And that's where our power really pushes through. Yeah, I don't know that I knew anything really about myself before I found the warrior goddess teachings and in that specifically around power from within, because I was constantly looking to the outside to tell me how I was supposed to be, how I, what I liked And I was constantly trying to find, you know, you were talking about those roles earlier and I was like, oh my gosh, the roles. And like constantly I, I had this image of like wearing 15 roles simultaneously and like jumping into a swimming pool. Cause we used to do these exercises when I was on the swim team where you put on sweats and then jump in the pool and try to like swim. It was supposed to be to create strength in our body so that we would swim lighter when we didn't have the sweats on. But it, I, it felt like that, like this place of practically drowning because we're trying to fit into these roles that aren't our roles, 
I mean, unless we consciously chose them, right? But most of them were thrusted upon us and we unconsciously took them on. I do want to name that piece of like our responsibility, even when we take things on unconsciously. But once we become aware of them, that self-intimacy grows and we're like, oh, hey, do I want to keep carrying this? Yeah. And is it serving me? Or who is it serving? Because, yeah, I think that's the important piece is when we finally come to realize, oh, I've taken on this role that is or isn't serving me. How do I step into it authentically? And how do I wear it so that it doesn't define me and it's not, you know, who I am, but it's just a part of what I do. And there's so much power in just that awareness for me like that we have a choice and that's the freedom, right? That we all talk about is the freedom to choose and, and to consciously choose. How are we going to be in the world? How, what action are we going to take? Um, how are we going to use our power is a big one. You know, how do we use our privilege and all of those aspects of it? Mm. Mm. Yes. How do we use our power? How do we use our privilege? How do we use our presence? Because those are all tied together. And I want to name, uh, Fiona shared a question about, or a share about being terrified of her power um, and, and feeling like she's, my love is fierce, but I'm taking the next steps towards embracing it more. And it made me think about There's a journey, I believe, when we're transitioning into really owning our power, that is a messy in-between place. So there's this, the, the old model, which when you're in the old model, whether it's power over or holding your power back, like however you're in relationship to power of how, what you learned, the unconscious structure or roles that you've taken on or what you've learned from your family, when you're in it, it's comfortable because it's familiar, doesn't mean it's it's comfortable only because it's familiar, not because it makes you feel good. Okay. So there's a sense of safety with that old model. And then when you let go of that model and you start moving towards a new model, there's a phase where you have a sense of where you're going, but you're not there yet. And what I've seen in my own life and, and in working with people is that that bridge phase, we can call it, that in-between phase is can be super uncomfortable and can cause you to go back to what, what's familiar. Because what happens, I'll share about myself in, experience, in my experience around my sexuality. So I was really shut down around my sexuality. I started owning my sexual energy and really claiming it. And what, and my fear was if I really claim this, I'm going to get hurt. Men are going to attack me, or I'm going to have all these people hitting on me, or it's, it's not safe to hold this much energy. And so in that journey, what started happening is men started hitting on me in really weird, random way. I mean, literally I had men that were like, I've been watching you for three months and I know that you're the woman for me and we're supposed to get married. And I'd be like, why is this happening? And I had a, literally a three month period where men were showing up left and right and it freaked me out. I was like, what am I doing? See, it's bad. I knew it was gonna be bad and now it's happening. And I actually went to Miguel and I said to him, I'm like, I, this does not feel good. And, and what, he, what he shared was really simple. He said, sweetheart, let them love you. Let them love you. Because who they're loving is actually God, not you. So if you can hold that realization that they're falling in love with themselves, that they're falling in love with God, don't take it personally. And I just got it. I'm like, this isn't about me. And I, I continue to do my work around cleaning up my agreements and beliefs around my sexuality, which was tied to my power. And lo and behold, nobody's ever hit on me again in that way. Seriously, like that, it just doesn't happen. 
I was fearful of it. So I started calling it in. And I think it's the same thing when we're learning about our power. So sharing this with you, Fiona, is that there's this phase that when we're afraid of our power, we start pulling in experiences and people and situations of people that are saying, oh, you're too powerful, tone it down, or who are scared of our power. And we see it. And that's that choice point of like, oh my God, I do need to shut it down. Or we go, okay, I need to clean, keep cleaning because I'm in the middle here. And that where we end up on the other side is people are going to do whatever they're going to do, period. And it just changes. We don't have the same reflections happening because we're not in the fear. We're clear. And so the world shifts, but it's only shifting because our perception has shifted drastically. Yeah. All right. I am going to add Serena and Adeli. Any last thoughts, shares, celebrations? Um, no, so celebration. Yeah. So I, I'm sure you remember almost a decade ago when, um, when I first, you know, came to you and you were my teacher, I had an abundance of, of warrior energy and abundance because I, I had been in so many leader roles and, um, you know, being a single mom and taking on all of these belief systems. So I had an abundance of warrior energy. And so doing the work, I've really been able to balance the warrior and the goddess. And we need both of them. We absolutely need warrior, but we also need the goddess aspect. And, you know, my prayer is that we start to see this more and more in the different systems that we have in our world, that we can come to realize that can't always be warrior, but we also need to, to incorporate the goddess aspect of the energetic, um, because they're both very necessary. And that balance will create a balance within our systems, or maybe even an openness to creating new systems that um, are dismantling the systems that are in place that are, are about power and power over, not necessarily power from within. Beautiful. Thank you. And Serena, I want to name that I know I can feel in you the grief around losing Heather and whatever else grief is there. No, because there's lots. I feel it myself. And to really honor you for your willingness to show up and be in that grief and that that is power as well. Yeah, it absolutely is. And I, I think I learned that a lot when my mom died, that, that grief has power and that there's power in, in that mystery of like not knowing when it's going to come because grief comes in waves and and we're all collectively grieving right now as well, or many of us are experiencing collective grief right now as well, in, in addition to our individual griefs and everything that's happened, you know, this year, this um, anomaly of a year where things are unexpected and uncertain that there's a quality to grief that helps us access our hearts and helps us access our power in that way. And the thing that I keep thinking about is like, what's the one thing I would tell people about power is that when we're working from the new paradigm, it's not that we know what's going to happen. And so I don't know when my grief is going to arrive. I don't know when I am going to have to align with life because something's gone sideways. So the most important question for me, and that it's a prayer really at this point that I carry is what's needed here in this moment, in this time with these circumstances. And then I get still and I get quiet and I open and I listen deeply to my bones and life for whatever information comes in. And when I do that, when I actually have clear intent and put 100% of my energy there, it's magical. 
And that's what power is for me now. Mm. Thank you. It's a perfect place to end. That reminder that power doesn't mean I am all seeing, I know what's going to happen. I know I've got my shit together all the time. Power is I'm willing to show up fully and dance with life and listen and get still and dance again. So thank you both for your beautiful, messy, brilliant, magical power and for sharing yourselves with us and, and with the War Goddess community and with me. And I love you both so much. Yeah. Much gratitude. Love you too, Heather Ash. Thank you, thank you for having yeah. us. Yes, yeah. thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, I know. Before I end the broadcast, I just pressed the button, but we're still going. Webinar. <gasps> yes. Webinar, I remembered. So we have a webinar coming up. I'm going to put it in. I don't know if you copied it, Serena. Uh, WhereGoddess.com slash powerful. So it's not public yet. There it is. And so it's a week of November 17th. So not next week, but the week after. We're doing four different versions. Is that right? And yes. So I'm going to be uh, sharing a new model around the Warrior Goddess teachings, which I'm really excited about. And so go join. Again, it's not public yet, but it will be soon. Whereaboutus.com slash powerful. Come be powerful with us. Love you all. <laughs> Bye. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to like, subscribe, and share it with a fellow warrior goddess. If you felt fully empowered and inspired by what you heard today, we want to know about it. You can share your feedback by leaving a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We thank you for your support. It's the fastest way to fuel the revolution. To learn more about the Warrior Goddess Revolution and other Warrior Goddess offerings, visit us at www.warriorgoddess.com.